nicknames, whether given in love or in jest, can have a lot of power over a person. I can still remember how my first nickname came about. I was trying out for the middle school basketball team. Like many of you, I grew up in the olden days where you had to change for gym class. And our school's uniform was a plain white t-shirt with navy blue shorts. We wore the same uniform to try out for basketball with one small addition. On the front of our shirt, there was a big white piece of masking tape and on it, the coaches wrote, the first initial of our first name and our last name, S. Panky. In middle school, you don't live down being spanky. So I sunk into it. I carried that nickname all through high school, only to have it appear again in seminary when our automatically generated email addresses were the first initial of your first name and your last name. I was in charge of the move-in ministry for incoming students after my first year there. Can you imagine moving to a religiously affiliated graduate school and having Spanky at vts.edu offer to help you move in? <laughs> Nicknames have been important throughout human history. The Bible is full of people who were named one thing at birth only to have a nickname given to them at some monumental time in their life. Prior to the birth of Isaac, Abraham was known as Abram, which means God exalted. Abraham, as he came to be known, means the father of many. Upon meeting Andrew's brother Simon, Jesus told him that he would be the Petros, the Peter, the rock upon which God would build his church. James and John were two other key disciples of Jesus, and they tended to be fairly boisterous, so they were referred to as the sons of thunder. Even after the time of Christ, nicknames were used among the disciples. Saul became Paul, and James, the author of the eponymous epistle of James, was referred to as Old Camel Knees for his life of devout prayer that had him on his knees hours upon hours each day. Perhaps the best-known nickname in the Bible is the key character in so many of our lessons for Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. John, the son of Elizabeth, the cousin of Jesus, is almost ubiquitously known as John the Baptist. You might just think that's his name because everywhere you see it, it's John the Baptist. In hymns, in sermons, in scripture, he is simply known as John the Baptist. Or so I thought. Until this week, I had never noticed that John the Baptist isn't John the Baptist in John's gospel. Not once in the entirety of the fourth gospel is John the Baptist referred to as anything other than John. And in fact, if you read the references to John the Baptist in John closely, you would probably end up giving him a different nickname. I think in the gospel of John, John the Baptist is really John the Martyr. Now, I'm certain that no one wants the nickname Martyr. And on this Gaudete Sunday, 
that's supposed to be a day full of joy in the midst of a season of waiting, you, you'll have to forgive me for going to martyrdom. But the truth is that even if John hadn't ended up with his head on a platter for speaking truth to power, he could still just as easily be called John the martyr as he is John the Baptist. Martyr is the Greek word that gets translated in our gospel lesson this morning, both as the noun witness and the verb to testify. John's calling wasn't actually to baptize people. It's part of what he ended up doing as a result of his preaching, but John's primary call was to martyrdom, to testify, to bear witness to the one who was to come, Jesus, the Son of Mary, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Word, or as John the Evangelist nicknamed him, the Light of the World. But everything about John the Martyr was a spectacle. He lived way out in the wilderness, which even in the first century made people talk about you just a little bit. He wore camel's hair clothes, he ate locusts and wild honey, he preached about repentance, and when a group of religious came out, leaders came out to visit him, he called them a brood of vipers. He told people that they should be ritually cleansed for the forgiveness of their sins, and he prophesied that the Messiah was coming. And then on top of all that, he called out the governor, Herod, for stealing his brother's wife. There was nothing about John that was meek or mild, and so he garnered a lot of attention from the powers that be. In our gospel lesson this morning, we hear of an entourage of priests and Levites who were sent from Jerusalem to figure out who this person was. Who are you? They ask him point blank. And John the martyr can't help but tell the truth and testify to the light. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet who is to come. I am simply the one out in the wilderness crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. The priests and Levites returned to Jerusalem just as confused as they had been when they left. So a second envoy is sent. This time it's a group of Pharisees who come, and rather than asking John who he is, they try a different tack. Okay, you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah or the prophet who is to come, then by what authority are you baptizing people for the forgiveness of their sins? Again, John has nothing to do but be honest and testify to the light. I baptize with water, he says, but one with way more authority is coming after me. For all the attention that John got, he sought none of it for himself. Everything he did was to point to the coming of the light of the world, Jesus the Christ. John the martyr testified to Jesus every chance he got. On this third Sunday of Advent, as the Northern Hemisphere creeps ever closer to the longest night, 
And as the Advent wreath strains to overcome the darkness, each of us is invited to try our hands at martyrdom, testifying to the light. One week from today, we will celebrate Advent 4 and Christmas Eve all in a whirlwind 17-hour period. From the lament, O come, O come, Emmanuel, to the joyful strains of, O come, let us adore him. We have the chance next week to testify to the light of Christ coming into a world mired in darkness. Over the course of this week, our calling as co-martyrs with John calls us to invite people to look for light shining in the darkness. You could invite someone to church next week, but if that's too scary a place to start, maybe you could help someone look for places where God's love is already at work in their lives. Places where they can seek joy in the midst of sorrow and hope in the midst of despair. As John the Martyr told the Pharisees, the light of Christ is already here, standing among us. All we have to do is look for it. And then when we see it, we will have no other choice but to testify with a joyful voice. The light of the world is here. Oh, come, let us adore him. Amen.